Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. There's some big news in the NFL. It's a trap. Admiral Akbar said it best. It's a trap. They have set a trap for 32-year-old Colin Kaepernick planning a private workout for the quarterback who hasn't played in almost three years, a Saturday workout in Atlanta. We don't know how many teams are going. We don't know what the situation is, but we do know this. The NFL told reporters first and then told Kaepernick's representatives yesterday. He only tweeted about it late last night. What happens on Saturday? Hmm. GMs and scouts go see 19, 20, 21-year-old kids. They don't go to too many pro days for 32-year-olds on Saturdays. Let's talk about it with our friend Jason Lockenfora. The NFL does a nice job of making me root for people I really don't want to root for. Antonio Brown and Colin Kaepernick. Is this a trap for Kaepernick that he has to, he has no choice but to step into it and take the bait. Yeah, I don't I don't know that it's it's a trap. Um it's certainly not a panacea. Um it's a step in the right direction. It's an olive branch, but it's an oddly timed, oddly structured olive branch. Um, you know, we're almost three quarters of the way through the season. Uh it came out of nowhere. Uh it wasn't a real dialogue or much of a negotiation. It was, hey. Yeah, uh, this is, you know, football operations, Park Avenue. Uh, Colin want to work out in Atlanta on Saturday? Huh? Yeah, yeah. We'll invite all the teams, like, Saturday afternoon, Atlanta. Do it at the Falcons facility. They won't be there. It's all set up for you, yes or no. Well, wait a minute. Why Saturday? Like, most workouts are Tuesday. You think we might be able to do it on a Tuesday so that more people could get there and, like, the teams would have, I don't know, a full week? You know what I mean? They'd actually have more time logistically to, to, to sort of get their arms around it. Uh, yeah, no, this isn't a negotiation. Atlanta, Saturday, you going to be there? Uh, well, let's try to, can we try to track, our, you know, our client down? Sure, you got two hours. Huh? Yeah, you got two hours. Like, this is happening today <laughs> or it's not happening at all. Yeah. And so what are you going to say? Like, you you have to you have to say yes, right? You, you have to uh, explore it, knowing that there's some caveats built in. But look, it, it, if it... If it goes well and scouts report back to their GMs like, hey, he looked pretty good. I like the way he handled himself. Um, then maybe that gets up to an owner and maybe an owner says, hey, let's let's bring him in privately. I want to have dinner with him, whatever. Um, let's see what he looks like in our facility. Maybe it's a conduit to that. Maybe it's a step towards that. Um, but it was certainly odd and it certainly came out of nowhere. And it, you know. I mean, Kaepernick's people say they haven't talked to the league in like 12 months about anything like this. And then all of a sudden on a Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., it's like, hey, yeah, we're going to send this personnel notice out. Why now? And what is the NFL's motive here? Some type of legal liability concerns or a PR move? Or I guess the third one would be they just think it's the right thing to do. 
out of the goodness and kindness of their heart. Uh, so why now and what's the motive? I, 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 the now, I, I don't know. Um, again, it is odd. I mean, we had what? Roethlisberger, Breeze, uh, Cam Newton by week two, week three, all were, were on the shelf, right? I mean, you could have done it then. Why wouldn't you do it before training camp, right? Or, or I mean, you could have made the case any time over the last, whatever, two years that, hey, this is a unique circumstance and, hey, you know, this guy might not be being treated like everybody else for reasons that aren't football related. So let's just try to put a workout out there and everybody can see it and then make their own determinations. And he's his agents have called all these teams, you know, anytime a quarterback's been hurt, anytime they look like a quarterback need, they're calling saying, hey, he'll meet you anywhere, anytime. If you don't want to do it at your facility, we could do it at a high school. You could come see him in New Jersey where he's, you know, at 5 a.m. every day throwing footballs. No one took them up on that. So I, I don't know why now, other than we're getting towards the end of another season. And if he's out for three-plus years without getting a workout, then are we past the point of no return? And I think part of it was, I'll go back to the question I asked Roger Goodell in Atlanta when we're talking about the civil rights movement You know, at the time of the Super Bowl and why Atlanta was such a special place to hold that game. And how much they're doing with the Players Coalition and the guy who started it all, you know what I mean, is persona non grata. So I asked the commissioner, like, are, are do you have concerns about how history will look upon this, you know, whatever, four or five year span of the NFL when it comes to issues of race relations, social justice, um, the things that this coalition with the owners are fighting for, yet Colin Kaepernick can't get a phone call returned. And at that point, he said, hey, it's up to all 32 teams to run their business as they want, which is still the case. But for the NFL to do this is unprecedented. We can poo-poo it. We can talk about the timing. We can, You can call it a trap. I get all that. But the reality is they've never done anything like this for anybody ever before. And I think it speaks to the reality that no one could ignore anymore, which was like when Nathan Peterman's getting five shots and this guy, nobody will even watch him throw a football in the middle of nowhere in the cloak of darkness. This, this ain't about football. The current crop of owners don't seem interested. What about the future owner? Jason had some outstanding reporting that just made my Sunday that Jeff Bezos wants in and the NFL owners are interested in having him in. Now, Amazon already dominates my house seven days a week with packages coming overnight on Prime, all sorts of crap me and my oh, yeah. wife order. So why not dominate my Sunday with the Bezos owned NFL team? How serious is this? It's pretty serious. Um, he's had a lot going on in his life the last five years, personally and professionally, but he's now at a point where he's, he's kind of settling in the Washington DC area. He's owned the Washington post for a while now, you know, they've set up East coast sort of hubs for Amazon. One thing that owners really like is Guys who could buy and sell them. There's not many people on the planet who could say, name your price and then cut a check and match it. And it doesn't affect their bottom line at all. This guy is one of them. And what he has done in marketing, branding, um, obviously you, you talk, you can't go anywhere and, and not, you know, stumble into Amazon something plus what he's doing now. And, you know, with streaming and digital and breaking into, you know, sort of the broadcast arena, it, it's obviously a natural fit. So he's on a very short list of people who could get rubber stamped at any time. Mm. Um, should they want to buy an NFL team? Should the right team be for sale at the right time? Um, we'll see how that unfolds. There aren't, you know, teams being shopped right now, 
But there is a situation in Denver where there's, you know, a bunch of lawsuits from various heirs to Pat Boland's uh, fortune saying, hey, we're not comfortable with this John Elway, Joe Ellis trust. We're not comfortable with the league sort of handpicking the successor or who should be the managing partner of this football team. And we want out. And eventually those heirs may win out and that team may have to be sold be for, for various you know legal reasons. Um, you've got some some ownership groups that are mm. um, have been doing it a long time. And we've seen a lot of owners, you know, pass away in recent years. And that's just the reality when you're talking about people who are 80, 90 years old. You don't know about that. And then obviously Seattle with with Paul Allen passing away last year. And, and that team is kind of in limbo now. But in the next 18 months, um, that could come to the market, whether that's bound uh, with the other sports franchises he owns as well, or whether they're sold a la carte, you know, the Seattle Seahawks at some point are going to have a new owner. Could it be Jeff Bezos? Um, I don't know, you know, logistically, geographically, if that's, you know, if that's where he would, he would want to own a team, but certainly if he gets into a bidding war, not many people are going to be able to outbid him if he puts his mind to something. Check out Jason's piece on CBSSports.com about Colin Kaepernick and how it all went down. Follow him at Jason Lockenfora on Twitter. Good to see you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, guys. How would Colin Kaepernick fare today if he remains the QB that we last saw in 2016? Let's talk about it with Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus. Sam, good to see you. So when we last saw Colin Kaepernick, uh, 2016 season, he was a 61.9 grade. That translates to about 29 or 30 in today's game. If he's the same quarterback that last left us, without three years of action, at 32, does he merit a job in today's NFL? I think he definitely merits a job. It's probably not a starting job, um, but you know, there's a lot more than just 32 starting quarterbacks in today's NFL and a lot more opportunities to start than those 32 jobs as well because guys go down hurt. You know, we've seen that this year already. A lot of these starting quarterbacks have gone down and teams have been forced into their bench. It's actually interesting because you know, the, the last season of his full-time play, Kaepernick's statistics were fantastic. You know, the touchdown to interception ratio, that kind of thing. But as you said, his PFF grade was not nearly as good. And, you know, a lot of the times PFF grade matches up with those statistics and they do tell an accurate story, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes those box score numbers do not paint an accurate reflection of a guy's play. And when you go through and you grade every single pass throw by throw, you end up in a slightly different area. Sometimes it's a better grade than the stats. Sometimes it's a worse one. And his final season, Kaepernick's was definitely a worse grade than the overall stats. But yeah, I think he definitely has a place in the NFL on merit. It's just a question of where exactly that lands. Sam, I, I have my thoughts on it, but I want yours. How do you explain Falcon Saints, what we saw on Sunday? Like, how does that happen? There is no logical way whatsoever of explaining that, except the metaphor that I came up with on PFF's podcast, which if you've ever seen a dead whale, you know, wash up on a beach and it sits there for a while and it rots in the sun and it, you know, it expands, it gets full of all this noxious gas. And then eventually somebody pokes it with a stick and it explodes everywhere. That's basically what happened to the Falcons. This was a team that was rotting in the sun, going nowhere and the Saints poked it with a stick, and boom, it blew up in their face. That's the only way I can think of to describe what happened. <laughs> that is outstanding analogy. Two Starbucks lattes, you can get the best football analysis out there. Just 10 bucks a month, P 
PFF.com. Follow Sam at PFF underscore Sam. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. All right, so good discussion there about Lamar Jackson. Uh, and by the way, he was the number one overall graded QB for Week 10 on Pro Football Focus. But, Ross, what got probably the most attention other than that 47-yard video game, B-move, spin-move, and the Heisman package for the 12-yard option was some words on the sideline between Lamar Jackson and his head coach. Uh, so what what John Harbaugh said to his quarterback in a really cool moment, you changed the game, man. You know how many little kids in this country are going to be wearing number eight playing quarterback for the next 20 years? What an awesome exchange Jackson responded. I can't wait to see it when I get older, but right now I got to get to the Super Bowl. It is impossible not to root for this young man right now, Ross. Uh, I'm loving everything about the Ravens, about John Harbaugh, about Lamar Jackson right now. I think it's so cool. Um, And you know what? I do believe that a decent amount of the success for the Ravens offense should go to Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator. But guess what? It's kind of the way it always is, right? I I mean, you know, with Joe Montana, a decent amount of that success goes to Bill Walsh, that's for sure. With Tom Brady, a decent amount of that success goes to Bill Belichick and Charlie Weiss and Josh McDaniels. So that's just the way it is. I mean, you don't have high-level success without it being a good marriage of player and scheme. And that's exactly what we have in Baltimore. Kind of crazy to think uh, at this time a year ago, people wanted John Harbaugh fired. I mean, it looked like it was at the end. (laughs) for John Harbaugh in Baltimore. It's kind of crazy. You know, they they insert Lamar Jackson in the lineup, and next thing you know, here we are, where I have him ranked number one in my power rankings. And you know what? He's exactly right. I bet you right now there are kids already getting Lamar Jackson jerseys, already wearing number eight that want to be NFL quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson. And frankly, it reminds me of... Randall Cunningham in the late 80s, early 90s. It reminds me a decade later in the early 2000s of Michael Vick. And here we are 15 years later. He's kind of the next guy that is just so unique, so exciting, so fun to watch, so dynamic that I think a lot of people gravitate to it and We'll get even more people that want to be quarterbacks because of Lamar Jackson. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking, I I hope he stays healthy because I really want to see what this team does the rest of the year with the healthy Lamar Jackson. I had Russell Wilson as my MVP. And then I dove inside the numbers because I'm a number geek yesterday and I was swayed. I'm now on the Lamar Jackson column. I mean, he's got more rushing yards than four total teams, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Jets, and Miami. He has more rushing touchdown six than 11 teams in the NFL. He is their leading rusher. The passing is improved. You can't ignore what that team would be without him, his leadership, his playmaking ability. Think he's the MVP right now, but Russell Wilson's made quite a case for it. Interesting stat that Lamar Jackson is actually two and a half weeks younger than the current Heisman Trophy favorite, Joe Burrow, which just reminds you how much he could actually improve. But 
I just want to flip back to the guy we started this program with. Colin Kaepernick was going to change the game, right? I mean, he was something we had never seen, the way he ran like a deer and had a stronger arm as well, threw rifles down the field. He didn't necessarily change the game. Will Lamar change the way general managers perceive the position and allow others to not have to make that transition to running back in the NFL, Ross? You know, it's a great question, Dave. And you're right. I think in 2012, there was a lot of thought that RG3 and Colin Kaepernick were changing the game. And then what happened was is RG3 wasn't able to stay healthy and teams caught up to the RPO game that the Redskins were running. You know, the zone read and pulling the ball and throwing the slants. Same thing with Colin Kaepernick. He started to get a little bit beat up and he wasn't able to throw it consistently and teams had a better idea, a better plan to stop him. He's still in 2013, ran for over 100 yards against the Packers in the playoffs, but he wasn't quite the same that next year. And after that, things started to go south. That is the question, the danger, the dilemma as it relates to Lamar Jackson. I just think that there are more tools in Greg Roman's toolbox and also that Lamar Jackson, I think, has a chance to be a more consistent passer than those guys, but it really will come down to his health and his ability to be this much of a running threat, and we'll see how defenses adjust to some of the stuff Greg Roman's throwing at him. Yeah, and and, uh, one of our producers, one of the millennials asked, was there a guy that we idolized the way kids are certainly idolizing Lamar Jackson now, buying his jersey, trying to emulate him? Ross Tucker did not do that because he was a badass. I mean, he knew he was probably going to play in the NFL. Me? Just a mediocre athlete. So I had to dream about these other players and buy jerseys. When you don't have that much talent, you probably tend to wear more NFL jerseys. So we got an example of who I idolized, and it was John Elway. And this is currently in my basement. It's my uh, tribute to the great John. I have the jersey autograph, the helmet autograph, the football autograph. And that's not even all. Uh, if we can come back out, if you're watching the radio.com app, I've got a autograph Sports Illustrated, autograph Super Bowl ticket. So perhaps a little obsessive. Uh, with John Elway. And yes, Ross, I did get to meet him. I was his sideline reporter one year for the Colorado crush of the Arena Football League. So that was kind of a dream come true moment, getting to work for John Elway and have to uh, get critiques after each sideline reporting performance. Serious? Okay. All right. That's amazing. So first of all, those autographs you have there, okay, how many of those did you purchase? How many of those did you watch John sign it? Well, okay, now now there's a little bit of a story there. My father-in-law is a close friend of his, so he personally had those all autographed. I did not have them autographed uh, with him in my presence, any of them, but I have met him a half a dozen, maybe a dozen times over the years, and in that particular arena football season, saw him uh, before and after each game. So, All right, yeah. and now next question. I got a bunch here. We're going to be a little late for the break. Next question okay. is, 
Who is your father-in-law that he knows everybody? Everybody, everything you always say, it's like my father-in-law, my father-in-law, my father-in-law. Who is this guy? All right. All right. This is going to sound really bad. Okay. It is bad. Uh, My father-in-law actually flies on John's private plane, probably half a dozen. So he pays, he basically rents John's private plane. uh, I don't know, a, a half a dozen 10 times a year or so. So there's a pretty close uh, relationship between the two. And they competed for years in the car business because John was a car dealer in Colorado. John didn't actually get out and sell cars, but his name was slapped all over car dealerships all over the state. He competed with Dylan Doug, who is my father-in-law. There Dylan you have it. Doug, I love Dude, I tell you what. Yeah. Car dealers, man. I'm t- it's uh, they're so full of shit when they're like, here's the invoice. Here's every car dealer I know rolls deep, bro. I mean, they roll deep. <laughs> they're so. Oh, here's the dealer invoice. Here's how much we're paying. You're full of shit, dealing Doug, and all the guys like you, because I know the guys up in uh, Western New York, Fusillo Chevrolet. It's gonna be huge. That dude rocks the private <laughs> plane. He's like the richest guy I know. Those yeah. those car dealers, yeah. there is something to do that. But here's the question. What was Elway like as a boss critiquing your sideline reports? Like, you can't just say that and keep moving. I got to know what that was like. He really critiqued all your sideline reports? Like, what was that like? Well, he was, uh, he was actually not that critical. I mean, I was pretty young and pretty green. I was a sports reporter in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the time. And I think I probably got that job because of the advertising dollars that came from my father-in-law. So I think he was pretty tame because of that, but I was pretty damn good as a sideline reporter. I like to bring a lot of personality to it, get those colorful fans involved as I still do some 20 years later. So he was actually pretty chill. And when I saw him just a few weeks ago, saw John on the sidelines of the Colorado football game, he was there scouting talent. He felt a little bit beaten down a little bit from all the criticism that's come his way in Denver as a result of picking bad quarterbacks. So you almost saw a little bit of that swagger, a little bit of that uh, just sheer godly confidence had been reduced a little bit, at least in terms of the public and a stadium full of people there on top of him. I mean, he was a God in Colorado and the luster has uh, come off a little bit because of his stint as uh, an executive with the Broncos, but a lot to get to. That's always the danger, right? That's always the danger of doing that. It's why Peyton Manning is going to really pick his spots He's going to make sure he has some ownership so that he could never get fired uh, if he's running a team. I mean, yeah, that that is the danger. That is the concern mm-hmm. when you are in a position like that. But that's interesting. I, I, that's, that's a great story. All right, let's fast forward to Saturday when the NFL has set themselves a PR trap, washing their hands of Colin Kaepernick and saying, basically, it's on you, owners and GM, We want to give Colin Kaepernick a shot. It's on you if you show up. So there's a private workout for Kaepernick, who's been out of the league now just shy of three years. He turned 32 last week. All teams invited, and interviews are optional afterwards. How this went down is really 
not good. Reporters found out first. Kaepernick's team was told yesterday and given two hours to say yes or walk away. And it's on a Saturday when GMs and scouts are watching 19, 20-year-old college studs perform and see what their NFL future is like. Are they going to divert those plans to see a 32-year-old quarterback out of the game for three years? Well, probably not. But what happens if they don't? How will they be labeled if they don't? They talked about that this morning on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Sean and RJ show, listen. I just talked to a Cowboy source. The Cowboys are evaluating attending the Saturday workout of Colin Kaepernick. It seems like a no-brainer to me. It seems like uh, the national report that suggests somebody in the Kaepernick camp says that all 32 teams will be there. That seems valid to me. As I said to somebody this morning at the Star, you know, how much does a flight to Atlanta cost? I mean, it's $300. Yeah. But you you, you got to go. Uh, you you got to go. You know, look at all the non-prospects that you go look at just in case. Look at all the evaluation you do on undrafted rookie free agents. Look at all the, the, the money and time you spend on seventh-round draft picks. Surely you got to spend a little time on this one, too. So it makes sense that the Cowboys are evaluating, and that, in fact, uh, has been confirmed by me by a source. Beyond that, we'll continue to work at it. Uh, I guess one question is, what is there to evaluate? Uh, to me, there's three things. Football should be the priority. We all agree on that, right? Yes. It should be about football. Yes. Okay. Um, but after these three years that you just mentioned, it's impossible to talk about this story or write this story as much as either political side might want you to without bringing up optics <coughs> and without bringing up politics. So, Sean, you just touched on the optics, and, and you're suggesting maybe the whole reason for the workout is optics. Yes. How bad do you look if you don't go? Yes. You, you look terrible. You, 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 you will look, you'll look like a racist. You, your team will look like a, te- a racist organization if you don't go. And, you, and, and that might not be un- – maybe, that, maybe that's not fair. Maybe you've already made your evaluation and said, we, we don't like him as a player. That's possible. But in terms of optics, you've got to go. So spend your $300 and go to Atlanta. Great point there on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, Sean and RJ show. This is a PR stunt by the NFL to wash their hands of Colin Kaepernick. I've wanted him to get his shot for the last three years. 16 teams in the NFL have gone with the backup quarterback starting this season. That's more than all of last year. You're telling me Kaepernick isn't better than what we've seen from Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago. Jeff Driscoll last weekend with the Lions. Brian Hoyer last weekend throwing the ball all over the place to the wrong team with the Colts. Brandon Allen looked pretty good for the Broncos, but probably deserved a shot there. Matt Moore, who was coaching high school when the Kansas City Chiefs contacted him. Ross, do you like the way this looks by the NFL making this move on a Saturday, giving them two hours, telling them at the last second, and then basically washing their hands of it? And do you think anyone will take them up on it? Will he get a shot? Uh, I do think... Probably every team will be there in some capacity. There's been a lot of conversation about the fact that it's on a Saturday. I mean, Georgia plays Auburn on Saturday, and that's what, like an hour from Atlanta at 3.30? So if they have the workout at 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, I would think that any scout that's going to go to the Georgia-Auburn game can watch Mm. Kaepernick first. Now, I believe... 
that Kaepernick and his camp are going to be disappointed at the lack of head coaches and GMs that are there. Head coaches are getting ready for their game the next day. GMs are going to probably go to higher priority workouts or actually uh, college games that are a higher priority. But maybe there's a couple GMs that stop by if they're going to Georgia-Auburn. But like Mike Fisher said, I do think most, if not all, teams will be there. And at this point, he's just looking for any chance. So you can't turn it down. Show those teams what you can do. Everybody gets the video. Everybody gets a chance to watch his interviews afterwards. Do I think this makes a difference between a team signing him or not? No. I find it very curious. And Ian Rappaport, we've got some new details, Dave. Ian Rappaport saying that the workout will be at the Falcons facility. And it begins at 3. Interview is at 3.15. Measurements, stretching, and warm-ups. Then timing and testing, like it's a combine at 350. Quarterback drills at 415. All parts recorded for 32 teams. This makes no sense to me. Uh, It made a lot more sense if it was in the morning before guys went to go scout the Georgia-Auburn game. And also, if it was in the morning, You might be able to get some coaches there or GMs conceivably. But at this time, they're already in the hotel for the game for the next day. So I don't don't really get it. That Georgia-Auburn game is at 3.30. Oh, dear God, Ross, what a great point. Because I thought this does make some sense from the standpoint that a lot of college football games are in the Atlanta area. You put it right up against the best opportunity for scouts in the region to see him. This does not look good for the NFL. I'm not convinced it happens right now. We shall see with just a couple of days before it if this can blow up. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Speaking of quarterbacks that are getting older, not as mobile as they once were, what is the future of Cam Newton in Carolina or is it elsewhere? Could it be Chicago? The 30-year-old quarterback has a $19 million cap number this year, shut down for the rest of the regular season with that Liz Frank injury. Let's talk about it with Frank Garcia, former NFL offensive lineman, now host at WFNZ in Charlotte. Frank, good to talk to you. It's Dave Briggs. It's Ross Tucker. Want to get all into Cam Newton? You don't get younger or feel better as you get older in this league. And 
it's uh, it's becoming a pattern, unfortunately, with Cam. Um, you know, with his, whether it's his shoulder, now his foot, you know, his ankle. There's a lot of different injuries that are starting to surmount. And we're talking about a quarterback that plays the position differently than anybody else and has played the position. If, if we took the, the QB away from Cam and put an RB in front of it, you know, we'd be talking about, man, I mean, he's, he's getting near the end of his career. But the fact that he has that QB and we see Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and what they're doing into their 40s, you know, we expect this guy to go out there and, and be able to bounce back. I mean, that's going to be up to Cam physically, uh, you know, whether he wants to. But emotionally, you know, those things are going to factor into this as well because these guys are making genera- generational type of money. And, um, you know, that's where, you know, only Cam can answer that question. But I do think that he's done here in Carolina. Got a $19 million cap number next season. Ian Rappaport reports that Cam would, quote, welcome a trade to the Bears if they're in the market for a quarterback this offseason. Do you sense that he still has the hunger? Let's set the talent aside. Does he have the hunger to go to a new place and start over? I think that's probably going to be what he would crave the most is a new start. You know, you get stagnant being in one place, and you feel like you maybe have done everything you can, you know, with that organization. You have an MVP. You took him to a Super Bowl. You know, the thing that Cam's always wanted to be is an icon and an entertainer. He made that statement very clear. Uh, you know, the way that he can conducts himself, he carries his business. He likes the attention. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, a lot of times a fresh start is what new, what guys need, and I mean that may be what uh, you know what Cam needs. I, I remember a guy, you know, Kerry Collins, kind of making that same you know, a statement and, uh, you know, here with the Panthers early in the 90s when him and Dom Capers kind of had that uh, falling out and uh, he, he needed a new start. He ended on having a 17-year career, you know, went to, you know, several different teams but had a lot more success maybe with the Giants and the Raiders than he, and the Titans than he did here with the Panthers. So, you know, for Cam, he's had a ton of success. Um, I could very easily see him in L.A., you know, play, maybe playing for the Chargers down in Miami, for the Dolphins, or even Chicago in one of these bigger markets where he can go out there and uh, establish a bigger and more, uh, you know, more, you know, a bigger and better brand. Frank, it sounds like you think he wants to go somewhere else and the Carolina Panthers are ready to move on. I mean, if that's the case, then this should be a done deal, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what you would think. And, uh, you know, Ross, you know this as well as I do. And, you know, I'm sure that Dave does as well that, uh, you know, this is uh, about how much you can get and maybe what you're asking. And, um, you know, how hot of a commodity is he? Um, I think there's a lot of people that are probably waiting to see, you know, what this injury looks like, if he's going to be able to bounce back, if he wants to play football. You know, those are questions I'm sure that a lot of people are asking right now. And, um, you know, the doctors are going to determine that. Cam's ultimately going to have the final say, um, you know, but when you start looking at the money and factoring all the other things into it, I mean, it's a no-brainer to me if you're the Carolina Panthers when you have other guys that you need to pay, like Bradbury, like Shaq Thompson, you know, guys that, you know, maybe Chris McCaffrey here in the near future, finding a left tackle, those things cost money. And when the guy that, uh, you know, may not be able to do what he was able to do in 2015 can't recreate that, and you're making the lion's share of the money, um, your, your team's not going to get any better. So, you know, that position has to make guys around them better if you're going to have sustained success. You know, just look at what Tom Brady's done. You know, uh, you know guys like that. I know not everybody's Tom Brady, but um, you, you, if you're going to make the lion's share of the money and eat up the cap, then you better be able to produce like that. Frank Garcia, former NFL offensive lineman, last question is, I don't know if you saw it late last night, 6'5", 275-pound 
offensive lineman for Ohio did a cartwheel on the field at the snap on Tuesday night football at your peak in your prime. Could you do a cartwheel? I could do a cartwheel right now at 47 years old. And I, and you're, you're sitting right next to a guy that is probably one of the more athletic guys. He might be able to do a backflip. So these big, these big hoss, hoss hunking guys, uh, we're not as big and fat as we seem. We're, we're a little bit more athletic than you give us credit for. <laughs> not true. Ross Tucker refused to try one and said he can't do it. I don't want to blow Ross? out my elbow. I'm taking no chances of blowing out my elbow or shoulder to entertain this goofball. <laughs> I can completely understand that's a good decision, Ross. We're probably too old for that stuff. Dude, if you do it on social media, we would love to see that here on Home and Home. Frank Garcia, WFNZ. Follow him at Frank Garcia 65 Great pleasure having you. Come back and hang out with us, Frank. Anytime, guys. I appreciate you. Quite possibly the stupidest way to cheat in Major League Baseball is to, well, set up a camera out in center field, steal the signs, bang on a garbage drum somewhere near the tunnel to tip off the batter. But that's what the Houston Astros were apparently doing in the 2017 season. That's according to Mike Fires, former Astros pitcher who talked to the Athletic, gave that scoop to them, and now... The Astros and Major League Baseball are investigating the situation. That's why, if you're on Twitter, Astros cheat is trending. Somebody who actually found the evidence, and you can see it on YouTube right now. Check out the channel John Boy, J-O-M-B-O-Y Media on YouTube. Breaks it down perfectly. You can see it. You can hear it. You can feel how the whole situation played out for the Astros in 2017 let's talk about it with jimmy o'brien from john boy jimmy thanks for coming on the program with us tell us what you found thanks for having me um yeah i found that the astros kind of cheat with videos and not to say they're the only team doing it but i think there's a reason they're the only team being outed by others and i don't know what that is and i'm really curious to find out i don't know if they're so blatant about it or they're so arrogant the way they go about it. But it's pretty clear. If you go back and and watch any game uh, at Minute Maid Park in 2017, uh, in in later innings, you will hear banging for four off-speed pitches, and you won't hear it for fastballs. And it happens too quick for it not to involve technology, uh, especially with no runners on base. It has to be a camera that's looking, because how else could they get the simple sign? And some people want to say, well, maybe he was pitching his, tipping his pitches. It, you don't have 100% accuracy with a guy who's tipping his pitches. You do when you have a camera looking at the catcher's fingers. So it's a loud banging when if it's an off-speed pitch, a change, or a curve. At the plate was Evan Gaddis. Did you find any more evidence than this one at bat? Did you find anything in the postseason or other instances yet? Yes, if yeah, there's. Uh, I put that on Twitter, and underneath it, I put a string of other home instances in 2017. I was doing it late last night. I'll continue to do it because I've been told to continue to do it by people who want this story uh, to change things in baseball. And I've I've been told uh, that to check the, the postseason 
and an ulterior method because they couldn't hear the bat banging because the crowd was so loud and maybe watch the batter's eyes and see where they go. Told by who? Told? John Boy? Uh, I can't say that. But I've, there's, there, this, is, this is high up, and there's a lot of people high up that are really upset by this and really happy that it came out and the video's out there and that uh, I, people hate the Astros, man. I don't know why. Well, that leads Here's- to my next question. Because to have, you know, the athletics pitcher now fires, like, well, I mean, it's rare for a guy that benefited from it and was on the team to be willing to call them out. What does that say about the Astros? And what do you think? Is there any kind of, you know, uh, snitches get stitches retribution for fires among baseball players? I would guess so, yeah. But, but, Farquhar went on the record as well um, as an opposing pitcher saying, yeah, definitely something there. I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure a lot of teams do this, but it's interesting why people are just ready to make the Astros the big bad guy within baseball. There's got to be some attitude or they're doing it more or more often or more in your face than others. You know, when Pineda had the pine tar back in Boston, the Red Sox were like, that was too obvious. Come on. Maybe that's what this banging is. They're like, that's you got to be a little sneakier than this. But I don't, I don't know why, why the Astros are are the only team really getting this out there. I don't know why Fires were on the record, but he seemed to not like it at all. And uh, I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty damning. Some more brilliant detective work. An internet sleuth, a detective, a sports detective who found. Could there be a correlation between James Harden's home road splits and the strip clubs on the road in selective cities? His name is Ryan Sullivan. He put this study, if you will, out there on Reddit. He is the angry centrist on Reddit, and it is outstanding detective work. Ryan, good to have you on the program. It's Dave Briggs and former offensive lineman Ross Tucker. So how did you stumble down this road where you began to wonder huh, I wonder if James Harden's performance on the road has to do with the strip club. Um, I mean, I don't know if you remember, uh, Complex wrote an article a couple years back. There was a picture of James Harden in like a really popular strip club here in Houston. Um, I guess that kind of has always uh, been on my mind, and it's kind of entered into the NBA memosphere, if you will, in terms of, you know, James Harden likes to party. He likes to go to strip clubs and stuff. So it's just always kind of been a, a thing, I guess, a bit of a meme. All right, so then it's been a th- bit of a meme, but then what prompted you to, like, actually start digging in? Uh, I mean, I was honestly, like, I think it was the night Houston totally tanked against Miami, uh, and I was, like, laying in bed, and I thought of the idea. I mean, just something to send to my friends to make them laugh. Um, and so I emailed it to myself, like I do with a lot of ideas. So I'll remember to look at them the next day. And so, I mean, after a couple of days, it was just sitting there in my inbox and I just started working on it. Okay. So let's start with the strip clubs. How did you determine the quality of the strip clubs in selective NBA road cities? This, this might be the most controversial part of the entire post, to be honest. <laughs> um, there's a lot of heat out there on the internet about my rankings. I wanted to have the most subjective, like simplest methodology for 
ranking strip club cities. So I just Googled the city name and then strip clubs and took the first 10 that came up, put in their ratings into a data set and average it together. Oh, okay. And people are not happy about that because they feel like their, their city strip club should be ranked higher. Yeah. Mostly Atlanta people are like super upset about it. Um, and people were bewildered like myself that Salt Lake city ranks so high. That, that Salt Lake City uh, ranked so high. Okay, so tell us now where James Harden struggled, and according to your research, why? Um, well, his worst performances are the best way to say it is his least consistent performances or where he consistently performed under his season average is Miami. Um, so, of course, like that's, you know, the number one rated strip club city. And then his next, uh, you know, uh, one of his next highest uh, cities for subpar statistical categories is Chicago and then Salt Lake City. I mean, the data's there. LA's up there for one of his, like, least consistent performances. So what have you found in terms of, like, how bad is it? How much of a, how much of a difference is it compared to cities where the strip clubs stink? So what the correlation or the determination coefficient R squared came to is 0.21. And what that means is that 21% of his box score is determinable by the quality of strip club in a city. So as a city gets better strip clubs, he's likely to have a 20% up to a 20% decline in box store statistics in the six categories that I looked at, which are points field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free throw percentage, assists, and turnovers. That's <laughs> outstanding work. Um, so here's my question. Did you cross-reference cross it with, let's say, the type of defense or the particular coach in a city? Could it be something else? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, obviously tons of variables that are at play here, um, but I think it's important to understand what the correlation is telling us. Is it doesn't say that every time he plays in Miami, he's going to have subpar games or that every time he plays in Toronto, he's going to, uh, you know, uh, exceed the, um, the season average. What it tells us is that over time, which I took the last four seasons across these cities, is there is a statistical correlation between his box score and the ranking uh, of the city uh, in terms of their strip club quality. So it's not so much, you know, it's not so much an exact perfect uh, answer or anything, but it's it's it, it's showing that over time there is a correlation. So whether it happens every time or or just one out of three, it's noticeable enough that there's a statistical correlation. All right. So the next question is, what do you do for a living? I'm an accountant. I'm an auditor. That sounds about right. Uh, the next question after that is, do you have a lot, how much time did this whole thing take? Um, you know, I put in the post that it took a week, but to be honest, it took a little bit over a day. You know, my, my dad always said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So as I was writing it up, I wanted to be, you know, uh, a little as, as comical as possible. And I think it's funnier if somebody says, you know, I spent a week on looking at strip club data, but in all honesty, it took, um, I'd say maybe 10 hours of work total 
And then I did the write up the morning I uh, I posted it to Reddit. All right, uh, that was going to be kind of my next question, which is uh, how much time do you have on your hands in life, Ryan? <laughs> Uh, well, my job is pretty chill. They're pretty flexible. You know, my, my boss says, you know, you don't get paid to fill a seat, but to do a job. So as long as you're getting the job done. I'll tell you what, you win if we can get James Harden to comment on this. We need a sports reporter. We have a station in Houston. We're going to have to get them to ask him about this on record and see if he can comment. I couldn't help but check his stats this year, and I wonder if he heard about this and stopped going because his field goal percentage is 45% on the road. It's 32% at home. It just made me wonder if for some reason he got wind of this and all the press about the strip clubs and he cut it off. So uh, tell me first. So you, you said Miami, Salt Lake, those are the high quality. What were the worst quality strip clubs? I just want to make sure I write them down to avoid those cities. <laughs> uh, the worst four are Minneapolis, Charlotte, Cleveland, and Toronto. And I'll say the folks in Canada were so offended that Toronto ranked <laughs> the worst strip club in the NBA. Yeah, I can tell you, I can tell you, Ryan, um, the strip clubs in Canada are different <laughs> from what I hear. And uh, they're different in a good way. Oh. So I'm a little surprised by the Toronto ranking, I must tell you. Um, it doesn't sound very scientific. You just Google the city and then the 10 top and see what rating they did, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that city's strip clubs are worse, right? They're worse to the people that are doing Google reviews, at least. I mean, one of the one of the biggest critiques is this rating, but this is the only way I could determine the quality of a strip club. I mean, people were sending me to some like like porn esque sites, like, oh, this is the this is the place to get your strip club ratings, and it's like I don't want to go to that website. I like Google search history is screwed up already. Excellent detective work, Ryan Sullivan. Appreciate the time. Uh, what a great study it was. This will reach James Harden. It will make it. Thanks, bro. Appreciate hey, it. Hey, give me give me those credentials yep. to your station down here. I'll go ask him. Okay, we're gonna make this happen, bro. Ryan Sullivan, <laughs> Anthony Centrist on Reddit. Thanks, brother. Take it easy. <laughs> that is. Just a beautiful thing about sports right there, Ross. Great show today. Interesting detective work by some sports sleuths. Tomorrow, Free Money Thursday, Nick Costos joins us with Where You Put Your Money This Weekend. Brad Evans from Yahoo Sports. And Andrew Filipponi previews the Thursday nighter between the Steelers and the Browns. Thanks for listening. For Ross Tucker, I'm Dave Briggs. See you tomorrow. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.